Paul treasured heavenly things and not earthly things. He sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Philippians 3.8, it's very plain to see when Paul said, For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. All the things I've suffered I count as rubbish, in order that I may obtain Christ. That's the reason I count them as rubbish, because suffering those things, I have obtained Christ. But look at the language that Jesus uses. So everything you accumulate in this life, like we talked about last time, all the possessions and things that we have in this world, all those things will end up on the trash heap. That's how Paul regarded them. So look at the language Jesus uses. He says, lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves. That's an active command. The active meaning that it's something that we have to do. It's not passive. We have to be actively involved in laying up treasures in heaven. So one of the active pursuits of our lives then is to lay up treasure in heaven. So we ought to be asking the question, where and how and for what purpose do we invest our time and our talent and our resources? Are we laying up treasures in heaven with those things? So the first commandment that Jesus gives us in this group of, this group of texts that we read is, is the, uh, if you recall last time we went over it, there are essentially three commands. And the first one is the command to lay up treasure in heaven. The second one is that we are commanded to not be anxious. And both of those don't, I mean, to lay up treasure in heaven and don't be anxious, both of those are the basis for the third command, which is in verse 33, which says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that one, I believe, is the main point. That's what Jesus is trying to say throughout all this dialogue here, is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the umbrella to which, under which these other two commands fall. It seems to me that laying up treasures in heaven, so storing treasure, prizing things that are heavenly over the things that are earthly, the things that we have been so richly blessed with here on earth, if we prize the heavenly things, that is a practical example of seeking the kingdom of God first. When we seek His kingdom first, we are treasuring the things in heaven above the things of earth. And that's what we talked about last time, trash. Paul says it's all rubbish, the things I've, I've suffered for Christ and things I've lost for Christ versus treasure, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And now this week, I want to focus our attention more closely on what comes next. Uh, don't be anxious, the second command that Jesus gives us in this group of texts. So being free of anxiety, anxiety over tomorrow, I think I told you last time, that is a condition. of. So we've got a, a, an example of what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God first by laying up treasure in heaven. Being free of anxiety is a condition of the heart that seeks the kingdom of God first. So let's, let's reread that part of it so that the text is in our mind. Chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, we're going to back up to 24 because I want to point something out to you. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you. Now, we have to stop right there. And I know I've told you this before, and I'll say it again and again because it's very important for properly understanding the Scripture. Anytime you see an argument word like this, therefore, 
for. Because you need to stop and ask yourself, what is this there for? So just remember that. Therefore, why is it there for? What is it there for? When you hear it, when you see it written, you need to ask yourself that question. Therefore, that word never, ever lives alone. It always comes with a dance partner. It never stands against the wall or in a corner by itself. It's always dancing with someone else. Therefore, is never alone. That's why if you have a daily Bible reading plan that you're reading or a devotional that you're reading and whatever the section is that it has you read for any particular day, if it starts with therefore, you need to stop and back up. So skim back in the text a few verses, maybe even a chapter. You may have to go back a little ways. You need to find out who, da- who therefore is dancing with. Otherwise, you're only getting part of the story. So we need to find out who therefore is dancing with. If you don't do that, you, you don't have the whole, whole shebang, as they say. So Jesus says no one can serve two masters, right? That's, that's what we start with in, in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. We talked about that last time. Treasuring, pursuing, living for temporary, corruptible things of earth uh, versus Uh, living for and treasuring and pursuing the incorruptible, eternal things of heaven. So frame that in your mind. You can't serve two masters. You can't can't pursue earthly treasure and heavenly treasures. You can't serve God and money, Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. You can't serve two masters. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. So then we are to conclude, I think reasonably, that being free of anxiety, which in in this case is living in such a way that we are not crushed under the weight of what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to sleep? What about my health? Am I going to make it to tomorrow? Am I going to wake up from this sleep or will I just die in the night? All of that is connected to what we treasure and consequently to who you serve. I want you to see how anxiety is connected, how anxiety over life. And when I say anxiety over life, I'm, I'm, I'm bundling all those things in that Jesus caution us about being anxious about, you know, things that we wear, the things that we eat, things that we drink, basic necessities, right? Even, even things like your job, you know, d- don't be anxious over those things. All the cares of this world, I'm bundling all that into anxiety over life. I want you to see how anxiety over life is connected to masters and who we serve, the master that we follow. Jesus wants us to live a God-glorifying life that is free of anxiety over life. And that life that is God-glorifying, free of anxiety over life, that life is God-glorifying because it displays a trust in God by being free from anxiety over life. That's not circular logic, so stay with me if you will. Jesus says that you will know them by their fruit, right? There's a reason Jesus says, therefore I tell you. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. Therefore I tell you. 
for that reason, because you can't serve two, now I'm telling you don't be anxious about these little things. Anxiety over these little things is the fruit of a self-ruled, self-exalted, self-enthroned life. Anxiety is fruit. So, if you, you do you remember the 23rd Psalm? Anyone remember that one? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, look at that psalm carefully. The very beginning, it starts out with two declarative statements of faith. The very first sentence, number one, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Not the king, not the president, not the sheriff, not my boss, not my pastor. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not want. This whole psalm, Psalm 23, is a psalm about being free of anxiety over the cares of this world, anxiety of life, because of the very first sentence, the Lord is my shepherd. That's where everything else is grounded. Amen. Everything else that comes after it is because of that first statement, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my master. It's Him that I serve. And because of that, I shall not want. I shall not want. I'm not going to allow myself to want because God is my shepherd and He is enough. I'm not concerned about uh, any of these things, about food or drink or body or the cares of this world. I'm not concerned about being sick or death because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my shepherd, the one that I serve, is with me. He is my master and my savior and my provider and my protector. I'm not concerned about my enemies or about the people who hate me and want to do harm for me. He, he makes a table before me in their very presence. He is my shepherd. I serve him. He is my master. All because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's another great psalm. You know, they're all great, but this one... Uh, is another one of those that kind of stands out above the others. Psalm number 118. Look how it starts. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So God's love toward us is steadfast and forever. This psalm begins as a celebration of that steadfast, immovable, unchanging, undying love that comes from God. Yeah. 
towards us. And so we are to sing his praise over that with thanksgiving. That's how the psalmist starts. But then look at verse 5. He says, out of, now remember, steadfast love endures forever. That is rock solid truth. Verse 5, now we turn to me. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. So the psalmist calls on the Lord out of his distress. Don't just read past that. Distress causes anxiety. Distress is the opposite of peace. He's distressed. He's very anxious. And so I call on the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He set me free. Don't read past that. Why? Why am I free out of my distress? Why am I free by calling on the Lord? Because of His steadfast love that endures forever. What kind of distress is he talking about? So that lest you think that the psalmist is speaking about some kind of distress that you've never known or that you never will know. Look at verse 6 and 7. He tells us, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Isn't that the opposite? Isn't that fear and anxiety? Aren't those the same thing? I will not be anxious. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. So what is his distress? He's facing fear and worry over enemies, over people who hate him, who want to do harm to him. Can we safely say he's anxious? That's anxiety over cares of this world, over life. What are they going to do to me? It reminds us of at the very beginning of the psalm, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. I call on him out of my distress. He answers me, so I will not fear. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to fear because God is with me. What can man do to me when I trust in the Lord? Now the psalmist goes on to talk about his triumph over his enemies. That's 118. Then one, in Psalm 23, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil. So even if my enemies triumph over me, even, even if by some you know, divine providence God allows them to take my life, they have only hastened my connection, my visitation with my Savior. Amen. So I will triumph over them. Does this sound like someone who is crushed under fear and worry and anxiety? Mm -mm. This sounds like someone who trusts and treasures the Lord. Someone whose shepherd and master is God. Someone who serves God and not the cares of this life. You know, it's so easy to serve those things. This is the praise of someone who has put total confidence in the Lord and he is free from the anxiety of life to the glory of God because his trust is in the Lord. That's what sets him free from anxiety. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus does not leave us without grounds for placing our total trust in the Lord. It's almost as if he's trying to convince the people he's talking to, you can trust God to take care of you. You can trust him in these little things. 
He gives two great examples of why we ought to be free of anxiety and we ought to have trust in the Lord to care for us. In verse 26 of Matthew 6, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So the Lord feeds the birds. Now, they don't work the land. They don't sow. They don't till the ground. They don't do anything to produce but yet God takes care of them. What do they do to earn the care the Lord provides? Nothing, but yet God still provides. Are you not more valuable to the Lord than they are? And then in verse 28, he says, why are you anxious about clothes? About what you're going to put on your back? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't work either. And yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So Jesus makes the argument that we ought to be able to look at these little things like the grass of the field and the birds of the air, and we ought to know that if God takes such great care, such careful care of them, will he not much more take careful care of us? The Lord has demonstrated his great care for our needs. He's demonstrated it. And of course, I can say that because we have the benefit of looking at Jesus' words from this side of the resurrection and the cross. Amen. Did the Lord not provide for our greatest need, a rescue for eternal judgment? Amen. Amen. I mean, think about it. You know, Jesus is preaching this message, right? And he's talking to, to these people. And he is speaking about anxiety and worry and trust and treasure. And only Jesus knows what's going to happen. But he knows. He knows full well where he is going, that he is going to the cross. He's going to be brutally murdered. He knows full well that he is going to raise himself again and defeat sickness and death and hell and the grave. So he is speaking from a very special perspective that no one else has at this time. He's looking at at life and all the cares of this world through the lens of redemption and eternity. And he says, none of that matters. This is what matters. You want to see a, a biblical perspective on what it is to look at life through the lens of redemption and eternity? To look at these words that Jesus is saying about, don't be anxious about this little stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God. We need to look no further than Romans 8. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul tells us, Paul, boy, he gives us a great example, I think. Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. Great perspective of, of don't be anxious because of, of we, we have the redemptive knowledge of what happened this side of the cross, what Christ has done for us. Verse 31, Paul says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's asking the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then so he answers the question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the same, I want you to see this. This is the same kind of argument that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount, only in reverse. 
See, Jesus said, look at all these little things, these trivial little things like birds and grass, and see how carefully God takes care of them. Won't he much more carefully take care of you? Aren't you more valuable than they? And then Paul, who who has a different perspective now than everybody else did when Jesus was speaking because they didn't know. Paul has seen the resurrected Christ. He knows what it means. He knows what Jesus meant when he said it. Paul turns it around and he says, If God didn't spare Jesus, who is infinitely more valuable than anyone or anything in all of the created realm, but yet he gave him up for us, We who are sinners and enemies with him. He gave his infinitely valuable son up for us. Will he not also give us all things through Christ? Jesus' logic goes like this. If God cares about the small things, and you can see that it's evident in nature, he cares about the small things. If he cares about the small things, don't you think he cares about you? And Paul flips it on his head and he goes at it the other direction. He says the same logic in reverse. If God would sacrifice the big thing on behalf of you little things, don't you think he cares about the little things? Verse 33, Paul continues. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? So on the basis of all that, who can charge us? Why are you afraid about life? Why are you worried about life? What can man do to you? It is God who justifies, verse 34, who is to condemn? Why are you so anxious? It's not your work that you have to stand on. It's Christ's work. Christ is the one that did the job for you. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. That's the ground for what he says next, for what comes next in the text. Listen very carefully to the witness of someone who lives his life free of anxiety over this life to the glory of God. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. All of that, all that comes back to one word again. Treasure. Everybody has something that that he treasures. Everyone has something that he cherishes that is either he is either pressed to obtain it or he is pressed to maintain it. And that pursuit to obtain or maintain treasure, uh, depending on what is being treasured, it can cause you great anxiety. I mentioned my, my, my Miata, my little sports car last time. It causes me great anxiety to go to a public parking lot. It does, because I treasure it. I don't want it to be dinged up. And no one cares about my doors Amen. but me. That's right. That's if you look, you know, if you've been to a Walmart parking lot, you know Amen. when you walk out there, and I see every little scratch and ding, and it just irks me. 
causes me great anxiety. I park in the back 40 to try to avoid it. And it never fails. I can park six miles away and someone's going to pull their big old, you know, dually up next to me with doors wider than Christmas and it never fails. I don't know why they do that. I'm getting way off track. Cares of this world cause anxiety. Right? So we shouldn't treasure the things like we treasure the things of heaven. Because treasure in heaven, see, that, that car can be dented, it can be corrupted, it can be broken into, it can be stolen. But I can't say that about my treasure in heaven. Amen. Amen. It's not corruptible. It's not able to be stolen. It's not subject to, to being ravaged by thieves. I don't have to worry about my treasure in heaven. And if your treasure is in heaven, you don't have to worry about the other things too. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying. Because your treasure is in heaven. A concrete way that Jesus gives us to treasure him is to place our confidence and our trust in him. Not in self, not in substance, but in him. Jesus said, don't be anxious about your life. Don't serve two masters. The Lord cares for you, and he will add all these things to you. And Paul expressed this confidence in the next verse, this trust in Christ, he said it like this. He said, I, no, let me back up. He said, for, I am sure. For, and that, that means because. And just like with therefore, for doesn't, doesn't live alone. For has a dance partner. When you find out what is for's dance partner, what is it there for? Why is Paul sure? Why? It's because of what he said before, that in tribulation, in distress, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, danger, and sword, in all of that, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Paul says that in all these things that should cause me great anxiety and worry, would, would, would tribulation and persecution be natural causes for anxiety? You bet. Would peril Someone holding a sword to your neck, would that naturally cause you? You bet. But Paul says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. And here's what he said. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anyone else in all of creation. A lot of things he could be anxious about. But not one of those things can separate him from the love of God. Amen. 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 Persecution, famine, peril, nakedness, peril, sword, you, can, you name it. It cannot separate you from the love of God. And I'll just wrap up with one, one thing. If Christ loves us so, he went to great lengths to show it. Say, hey, guys, God loves you. If he, love, if he does this for these little things, don't you think he loves you? And then Paul says, if he did this big thing, don't you think he loves you? Amen. Don't you think he'll take care of you? Why are you worried? If Christ loves us so, then what in this world do we have to be worried about? Therefore, I say, don't be anxious about life. I love you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. I thank you again for your word. I thank you that you have given us something sure and solid to stand on, lasting treasure in heaven 
Lord, and I pray that is the, just the absolute pursuit of our hearts, that we treasure you, that we see Christ and savor him above all else. What a Savior you have given us. What a Lord you have offered us to serve, to offer our lives to. It is our joy. Let it be our joy, Lord. Father, I pray that you strengthen us as we go from this place. I pray that you bless our fellowship and bless the food that we are about to eat, Lord. We give you thanks for all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.